Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of My First Sketch here at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes and get it automatically. You can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Feel free to email MyFirstSketchPodcast at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at JoshHighFalse. First off, thanks to everyone who came out to Sports John. This is Sketch Center last week. I had a lot of fun doing it and hope you enjoyed it too. My first sketch will have a live episode this week as part of Philly Sketch Fest Presents with special guests Dan Corkery and Caitlin Weigel from House of Solitude. I'll talk to them about their first sketch and see some of the best that House of Solitude has to offer. We'll be at the playground at the Adrian August 19th at 8.30 p.m. And you can go to the My First Sketch Facebook page for more information. But the night before that is another exciting show. WGRA presents Motive Murder at Good Good Comedy. So we're going to talk to Vincent D. Costanzo, who is a member of the Flat Earth and the producer of WGRA Live Radio Theater. His first sketch is called The Parking Lot. Annie Paradise plays the parking attendant. Dan Farrow plays a driver looking to park in the lot. I have a brief appearance as Mr. Abrams, and Vincent DiCostanzo tells us all the visual information and activity. So let's go to the sketch. A man is driving around looking for a parking space. He noticed a parking lot that's completely empty he pulls up and rolls down his window. Five dollars. Man hands the attendant five dollars and the attendant slides one of those tickets into the windshield. Sorry, sir. Lot's full. What? The lot's full. You can't park here. What? The lot is full. You cannot park here. The lot is completely empty. Look. It just looks that way from this angle. I assure you, it's full. There's a spot right there. No, sir. There's a motorcycle parked there. But I... Look, sir, I'm sorry, but there are plenty of other lots around. How are you so sure that the lot is full? You haven't even looked. I have these little tickets, one for each spot. As people come in, they get a ticket. I have no more tickets. Therefore, I have no more parking spaces. But you just gave me the last ticket. That means there's one spot left. I never gave you a ticket. Oh, yeah? Man pulls out the ticket and shows the attendant. Well, that's obviously a ticket from another lot. It's red. We use blue. This is blue. I mean, we use red. Flips over the ticket. It's red. You mean like this? I... You... You bastard! Grabs the ticket and eats it. I'm sorry, sir. That was obviously a fraudulent ticket, and I had to stop you before you ripped it off me or my... or my kind. Kind meaning parking lot attendant. Not alien. Definitely not alien. The hell? Look, I, I just want... Please hold for one second, sir. A car pulls out of the lot. Hello, Mr. Abrams. Hello, Bob. How's everything? Good, good. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good day. Can I help you, sir? Where the hell did he come from? Chicago. Definitely Chicago. Not Farkilia. Farkilia? Why, I've never heard that word before. You must have just made it up. Just now. I think you're insane. Yeah, yeah, you, you must be insane. What I just heard you say 
You heard nothing. I said nothing. You would tell no one what you heard or didn't hear. Look, a parking ticket. I'll give you a parking ticket if you promise not to tell. But I already paid for it. Take the ticket or I will destroy your planet, uh, family. Um, I'll kill your dog. I'll, I'll punch you in the face. Okay, uh, okay. Where's the spot at? Right over there behind the Farkillian space cruiser. The van. The van. You, you, you know too much. Pulls out a laser gun, tries to fire, but nothing happens. Damn this atmosphere. Starts beating the man with his gun. A man dressed in really bad drag walks by. The end. <laughs> hey Vince. Hello. So tell me where this idea came from. Um, to be honest with you, I don't remember where this idea came but, from. But like, in your, you, you said that it's roughly 20 years old or so. Give yes. Or take. Yeah. So, so it came from a notebook out of a stack of notebooks <laughs> that I found <laughs> and furiously sc scrubbed through last night looking for uh, old stuff. So, but then, all right, so you've been writing for, or at least attempt, you first attempted comedy, writing comedy at 20 years ago. Yeah. Why? Like, what got you into it? What, what was your motivation to start writing comedy? Well, I was a, a theater kid, mm -hmm. and uh, I started watching, like, Monty Python and Kids in the Hall and stuff like that. So it just, you know, I was always writing when I was younger, too. Mm -hmm. So the two sort of crashed into each other, and I just started so there's wanting like to do sketch comedy. Even older, longer pieces, like short stories. Yeah, it was a plays, lot of the maybe. stuff. Because um, the alternate piece I brought was actually like the first draft of a short play. Okay. Because um, after high school, I'd started to want to do more playwriting mm -hmm. than anything else. So. So. Uh, so in, and you mentioned Kids in the Hall and Monty Python, like. Was that your first introduction to sketch? Like, yeah, actually, the, the first was um, Nick at Night used to run uh, these abbreviated versions of Saturday Night Live okay. from the first few seasons with like Bill Ratner like like and Bill Murray. Thirty-minute. Oh, yeah. It was like these little best of shows that they would air. So thirty-minute would only be like two sketches and. Pretty much, yeah. Or no, no music. I didn't. I don't even think I knew there was musical guests on <laughs> SNL until. Okay, so three sketches. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Usually the same three. It was usually like a news sketch and the the bee, the killer bees. Yeah. And uh, was it uh, was it Lisa Lupner? Lisa Lopner? The, the nerds. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so, did you like? With the Nick, those Nick and Knight edited SNLs, when did you realize that SNL was like a full 90 minute? Like, did that take a while before you start watching it more so? Or, you know, I really don't remember actually. I think it was probably like early, like maybe middle school. Mm -hmm. um, every once in a while, being allowed to stay up late and watch. Usually it was like we would be allowed to watch up until the news, the, which is usually the like the first half right. hour. And then, you know, then it's midnight and you got to go yeah. to bed. And plus, I guess my parents knew I wasn't going to get half the jokes from the news at <laughs> like <laughs> in ninth grade. E even when I started watching Planet Live, like, I, n I never could make it all the way through a show. Like, and with 
update music was usually where I would taper off and yeah. drift to sleep. Like as long as I knew who was like hosting the next week. Yeah. Which is only like the second or third act break, but yeah, it still was a, like a success to me. Yeah, I always I always found that like there's I think that's like your turning point where you get to the news part and you get the jokes, but then and this is something that happened probably like I want to say in the, the the 90s where they started putting the weirder stuff towards the end of the show because mm. they figured people had probably checked out. So that's where you get to see the the bizarre things that two seasons later would be like the regular characters yeah. that they would do. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, just really starting to, like when that clicked in my head, it was like, oh, I got to push through because here's where the good stuff is going to be. Sure. Because like I even remember, I think, um, and this is before my time as like watching it live, but like Wayne's World, the first time they did Wayne's World was yeah. that 12.55, that last block. Uh, yeah. Because they were just like, all right, sure, let's see whatever. what happens. <laughs> Um, what other like comedy like have you always been a comedy fan? What else were you watching? Yeah, sitcoms or movies or it was I mean sitcoms of course you can't avoid watching sitcoms. Uh, movies I remember I was in um, <laughs> I was in third grade when I was given my first Mark Brothers tape, mm -hmm. and I remember watching it was Horse Feathers. I remember my mom brought it home. I watched the first half, and then I had to go to bed. And I could, like, the next day, I remember just being so amped up for school to be done so I could run home and, and watch the rest finish. of the movie. And uh, so I've always loved classic comedy movies. And when uh, Comedy Central or Ha or whatever it first was launched, I remember we had it. And they would show uh, Ernie Kovacs' show. Mm. And that was another thing that just clicked and... Like, okay, you're the second person I've talked to that's mentioned Ernie Kovacs, and I know nothing. Yeah. I, mean, I know the name. I could probably pick another lineup. You, if you gave me four old-timey people, uh -huh. I might be able to. You might be able one. to, yeah. Is Ernie Kovacs? And it doesn't even work if you're like, he's the one with the cigar. You're like, oh, that's also <laughs> Groucho Marx. There's three cigars. of them will have cigars. Uh, so, like, what else would have, like, so it was all old for the most part? For like, the most part, yeah, because Comedy Central at the time didn't have original programming so they, they were, were airing old stuff and then they were syndicating kids in the hall at the same time it was on hbo um so yeah stuff like that so you were writing like little plays and short stories and kids in the hall and monty python hit what was it about kids in the hall and monty python that like was like pushed you to sketch um I don't think I needed to be pushed to sketch. I think it was I was just always drawn to it. Okay. I liked the the short form of it. Mm. I liked how it could easily be something very literal and playing with language, mm. or it could be something very simple and visual, um, or it could be a combination of both, or it could be neither. It mm -hmm. could be something from out of left field. It almost seems like there, you know, going back to the Marx Brothers, it's almost like there are no rules. Mm -hmm. The only rule is basically like, don't go too long. Like, right. Keep attention. Right. But even that, I mean, you can even play with going too long. Yeah. So, um, really beating a joke to death. When did you actually start like performing? And well, I started performing in. Uh, well, I guess like the earliest is like you know in elementary school you're performing the little plays mm -hmm. and stuff you do, but in high school. 
our drama club would host uh, coffee shops where they'd you know set up the stage and there'd be coffee and tea and the musicians would perform and people would get up and read poetry um, and after a while eventually a friend of mine would get up and do a couple kids in the hall sketches that mm -hmm. we just knew off the top of our head mm -hmm. we'd just be like hey you want to do this well yeah let's go do it and we'd get up and we would from memory do these sketches and how was the reaction to that? Was, was pretty good. Because I'm assuming that would be like the first time that a lot of the people in the audience would have experienced. Yeah, I think so too. So, I mean, we ourselves didn't really understand the the, the depths of the humor of the Doors yeah. album sketch, but we knew it, so we did it. <laughs> uh, I think I had the same, the same experience during the church camp. Like, we had skit night, and like every like cabin would have their own skit, but then there would be occasional ones that would be based off of Saturday Night Live or stealing from Saturday Night Live. Yep. Like, uh, I know my brother once did the uh, the cheerleader sketch with Jim Carrey, the one where he's like, like a amphetamined up uh, foreigner, <laughs> and he's just running back and forth out of the frame. And they actually had a dude like running out one door and running in another, just constantly <laughs> to like. Um, so, and then, but and then when w when did you start doing? like sketch like in earnest like doing it on stage in philadelphia or wherever you started um after in t 2003 or four um a friend of mine mike and i finally decided hey let's stop let's stop talking about doing a and sketch comedy show it. and let's start act let's actually sit down and do it and we um, um a friend of ours jeff who we worked with, who was another huge comedy nerd like we were, um, and another another guy, Craig, decided we'll meet on Fridays. Let's start meeting on Fridays, and we'll mm -hmm. put something together. And that became the Gentleman's Rotary Auxiliary. Okay. And we produced a couple shows. Um, yeah, I guess it was around 2004, 2005. And okay, so that was like pre-fit. So I have no. Yeah. So where are you doing these things? We we did the show. Our first show we did, it was our self-produced, which means self-funded. Yeah. <laughs> um, we actually did it at the Schumann. Okay. Because at the, uh, I had done a, a, a performance of No Exit there. Okay. And found out how really cheap it was to rent. It was mm. 500 bucks for the whole week. And um, so I was like, hey, it's 500 bucks. We get the whole week there. Let's do it. So... We rented the Shubin. Uh, we had gone around to see other groups at some places, so we got in contact with uh, Rare Bird Show, who were an okay. improv group, and Animosity Pierre, who were another sketch group, names and basically I've said, "Hey, we've got." I've no, I've never actually seen live. I think yeah. Rare Bird. I think Alexis left right as I was starting to get involved in the scene. Like yeah. And Matt, Matt still, I Matt's mean, still Matt Ann still Matt Ann, yeah. is still one of the best improv shows in the city. Um, and uh, Animosity Pierre has gone by the wayside a few years ago, but they continued to produce uh, Philly Sketchfest for a long for time. Oh, yeah. So we put together um, a, a weekend, and uh, I don't even remember how many, if anybody, showed up for it. Right. But. Um, it was one of those things where he just decided to do it, slapped some money on the table, and then just uh, 
started to do it. And fortunately, a friend of ours started running a art space in South Jersey, and we were able to, we were almost like the default hosts of things. Mm -hmm. We would host um, uh, Skits and Giggles was the name <laughs> of the uh, <laughs> monthly show that started where we brought in a sketch group, a stand-up, and usually another sketch group or a stand-up, and we would host the show. Um, so that gave us an excuse to come up with more material on, on, on the regular, as they say. Sure. But uh, after a couple of years, it just, uh, you know, when you're self-producing, it is the worst thing in the world. I actually, I, I hate producing, and it just got to be too much to yeah, I'm sure. book the spaces and rally the troops and front the money and all that stuff, so. Uh, but and You're on Flat Earth now, but, but wasn't there another group in between? Uh, well, actually, there was after the after the gents broke up, um, I took a little bit of a hiatus and I didn't really do anything. And when Fit put out the call for their first house sketch team, okay. I submitted. That's when you. That's and I've I've actually I've actually been with the flat Earth from the beginning. Right. Um, originally, I just wanted to write. I didn't want to perform anymore. I just wanted to write. Um, and after, uh, I think it was about the first two or three shows, I didn't really, I wasn't really feeling the, the group dynamic that was happening. Mm -hmm. I, so I uh, excused myself from the group for a short time. And um, when I was on my hiatus, I did um, a handful of shows as the Clay and Calhoun sketch comedy. Okay, that's who I, I remember. Yeah. Um, at least the name of, I don't think I've ever saw them because... I only did it twice. Okay. Um, it was one of these uh, concept things I had come up that only I thought would be funny <laughs> where I did the first show at Philly Sketch Fest. Okay. Um, it was originally, uh, the original idea was to do like a one-man show um, and a one-man show in which I talked very, I didn't talk very much. I wanted to, to almost to be almost an entirely silent one-man show. But as I started writing, I realized I can't do that. I can't keep my mouth shut. Um, so wait, like you, like you personally couldn't keep your mouth shut, or you just couldn't write silent characters? I couldn't write silent characters. Okay. I, everything I was writing was very verbose and sure. stuff like that. So I did the one show for uh, at Philly Sketch Fest. And then the idea was to keep doing the same show, but adding one sketch each time I did it. So okay. eventually we get longer and longer and longer, but always doing the same sketches, but with one new one thrown in there. Um, but that also became the thing where it was a self-producing thing, and yeah. I don't like that. So it's it kind of went by the wayside. And um, after a while, uh, I'd still kept in touch with Flat Earth, mm -hmm. and I still went to their shows, and I still loved them and supported them. And after one night after a show, uh, Matt just came up and said, hey, do you want to come back? I was like, I kind of do want to come back. <laughs> I, I miss you guys very much. Uh, I, I would actually really like to come back. And then he said, all right, we'll see you on Tuesday. And so, okay, so you do a hiatus, Flat Earth. Yeah. And when I came back to Flat Earth, my original plan was to write, just write, and only a occasionally appear on stage. I didn't want to – I felt they had a really good – they had finally created, like, this really good rhythm 
and I didn't want to jump into it because right. I really thought I was just going to mess everything up by just inserting myself into this chemistry that they had. So I just wanted to just write, and I was like, the inside joke will be, I'll say one line in every show, and that'll be it. <laughs> but eventually, as we're writing, and there's characters who say two lines, <laughs> then there's characters who say three lines, uh, eventually I end up just performing a little bit more and finding my way. Yeah. Going against everything I said <laughs> I was ever going to do. Uh, so you yelled at me on, well, you didn't yell at me, but like you scolded me on Facebook that I was wrong. No, I, I wasn't yelling. It was, correction. <laughs> it wasn't a correction. <laughs> uh, because I said in a previous episode that there had been additions and subtractions. Yeah. And funny enough, this morning, my friend Julia listened to the same episode, and she also <laughs> corrected me. I was like, Vince already yelled at me. Calm down. Like, which I didn't, I didn't realize that there had only been people leaving as yeah, it's always away, been going. Yeah, no one has been. I mean, other than me coming back, has been added to the Flat Earth. So, so Flat Earth was a team of writers and performers. Like, what was that original makeup for the most part? Do you remember? Because I remember there was a couple Ash Boys. Yeah, the original writing crew was uh, Steve Swan was our head writer, mm. myself, Matt Schmid. Jess Ross, Luke Field, and Sean. And then they cast a acting, uh, a cast component. Because component. when I went into uh, the Flat Earth, I originally would thought like, all right, the writer's going to write, the actor's going to act, and that's how we're going to think. And then it all just sort of it like blended and uh, flowed, and I just kind of confused the hell out of me. Um, because I so our cast was Jackie Baker, um, Harry Watermeyer, Jim Grammond. I know Sean Landis was. Sean was one of our writers. writers. Yeah. Um, Bre uh, Brent. Brent Knobloch. Yeah. Yeah. It w and it was like uh, this weird thing where uh, the, the first sketch we performed, we didn't have a cast yet. So the, uh, the writers performed the first mm -hmm. shows we did. And then we got a cast. And then it all blended together, and then people started to trickle away, and are, are still trickling away. <laughs> because I, uh, I had just finished sketch two hundred one when the all, when the announcement of the sketch house team started, but I was in on the sketch team, a mini sketch team called Duo Range. So I was like, oh, this is a cherry deal, and I was writing for a fringe show as well. So I was like, oh, I don't have time for house team. I'm not going to submit. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And then two months later. All of that just fell to shit. Judo range broke up, <laughs> and the friend show was a disaster <laughs> in many ways. And I was just like, I should have auditioned. I should have yeah. submitted. Like it was just like immediate like regret for not doing it. Um, but now, Flat Earth is basically just five of you and Paul. It's yeah, Jackie and Matt, which they were the two that I wasn't sure had been with the, the group the entire time. Yeah. I didn't realize that they had been around that long. Oh yeah, they were the major questions in my mark in my mind. Well, yeah, because Matt had always Matt was the original writer and Jackie was the original cast member. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, Matt and Jackie, Richley, you, Molly Silverman, and Paul directing. That's yes, the current. That is the current lineup. Yes, and you just did a show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, which was fantastic. Oh, the thanks. Choose your, choose your adventure was so much fun. Thank you. 
Um, if there's a pirated bootleg copy of it, watch it. Like if there's a pirated bootleg copy, send it to me because <laughs> I'd like to see it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the dynamic of the group like now? Like it's um, it, it's. I mean, I don't want to gush, but it's really wonderful. It's um. We get together once a week, shoot the shit, try to make each other laugh, and then by the end, try to have some sketches written. Um, it doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. It just feels like we're all hanging out and we're we're making things together, which is really beautiful, and I really, yeah, I really love it. Sounds wonderful. It, it really <laughs> is, because um, I'll, I'll admit, the earliest days of the Flat Earth, I was not too happy. Um, it seemed like there was a definite competition to get your stuff on stage sure. the most, and um, people writing. I mean, I'm not a prolific writer. I write very sparingly, and in fact, if, if, you're wa if you've watched these Flat Earth shows, the shortest sketches are the ones I've written. <laughs> yeah, I the the, the long-running joke is that my sketches are always one page, and it ends with long, slow fade out. Okay. Um. So it seemed like there were a lot of people jockeying for their stuff to get on stage, and even stuff that was not really done. I mean, and still felt incomplete when we were taking it to stage. They. Uh, politic and really push to get their stuff on stage whereas now I mean we we basically throw everything on the table and talk about it and nobody it doesn't feel like a competition anymore it feels like we all want to build it a really good show together instead of getting your stuff on you want the best it 25 minutes exactly minutes to, uh, I <coughs> and even to the point where like even if something's not done or if we're like as a sketch isn't, well, not complete, but it doesn't feel like we've reached its full potential. Mm -hmm. If we believe in who's performing it or we believe in its potential, we'll just like, all right, it's not done, but let's just roll with it and see what happens. Yeah. Because we have both the respect and the trust for each other that we can throw out an idea into the wind and trust that somebody else will catch it and run with it. Uh, I had just read the, the, the book, The Oral History of the State, and they were talking about how with 11 people it became a majority vote, but certain people wanted their vote to count more than others. And yeah. I kind of feel like with the size that the Flat Earth originally was, getting that stage time might have had that same dynamic that the state eventually became where it used to be a very, like, they talk about how they begin at MTV as a very communistic 11 for 1, 1 for 11. Yeah. And by the last season, as they try to go to CBS, there were four writers who were like, no, we're the writers. You guys just come and rehearse. And like, is that a similar experience? I mean, most of the people in are still involved in the city, and I don't want to like badmouth anyone, but like, is that it's not about, I don't think it's about badmouthing. It's about who, who works well with each other. Right. Because, I mean, I didn't get along with everybody in Flat Earth, but I'll admit they're really friggin' talented. Yeah. And uh, I would still go and see them perform. Sure. We just didn't work well together. Um, but I think that was also the thing. There were so many people and so little time. Mm. So... Well, yeah, because for a while there was only two house teams. Yeah. Were you doing every two months? Or no, we weren't doing every two months. 
but it's like every three, every four, it's still something like that. Okay. Yeah, because I still would have been like, if you had to chunk out like train out that much, because yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, because I mean, Camp Woods back in the day were doing monthly shows. Yeah. And I went to a couple of them, and you could tell that they were doing monthly shows. Like, there was just, like, hey, let's do this weird thing and see what happens. Like, like the yeah. sketches weren't that full potential that I feel like Paul Trey gets as a signature of him. Like, let's keep tweaking, let's keep working, and yeah, get it and as best as it could. That's another thing. One of the things that really made me want to come back to uh, the Flat Earth is that, you know, having been, quote, in the scene, for so long and having seen Secret Pants perform, you know, all the time, uh, I found that every time there was a sketch, I was like, oh, God, I wish I'd written that sketch. Yeah. They were all Paul sketches. <laughs> so w it killed me to, when I first left Flat Earth, to leave working with wi with Paul and with some of the other members sure. of this group, the, 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 the group. But um, getting to work with Paul again was another big reason for getting back into the flat earth because like we had the same like work ethic i the reason i don't write so much is because i can't put things on i have this weird ocd thing i can't really write half ideas right. i don't like to sit down and type anything until in my head it's done mm -hmm. and then i'll put it on paper and then once it's on paper i don't want it to go on the stage until it's exactly the way i want it to right. sound you and don't want to um, rehearse it on its feet and get it there. Yeah, you and even get it there take the left turn, take the right turn. We'll try it all different ways, but when we put it on stage, we want it to look the best it can look. And that's the type of work ethic that Paul has as well. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone else in the group has that same work ethic. But having known Paul for as long as I have, I know that he and I are on a similar mental plane. Um, I want to talk more about, like, <laughs> what I would – like, I consider the Dark Ages the, the – the pre-fit, like where were you were performing in Jersey? You were the host of the show in Jersey. What else was there? Like, I've heard of. I know there Chip used to do Kyber. Yeah, we did one. We did one of the Die Actor Dies. Okay. One, one. We did that once. Um, where else did we perform? These are these rando places that aren't even coming to mind. Like I'm getting as I was was thinking back. I see flex of – I mean, these places are probably all out of business by now sure, anyway. I, like, <laughs> even the Kybers, like, it was closed for a couple of years before yeah. a new owner came in and tried to rehab it. Yeah. And I don't think I've been there since a Chip Chantry show. So. Oh, it's it's beautiful inside there. It totally <laughs> sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so in, in addition to Flat Earth, you also work on WGRA yes. radio. Yes. Where does that come from? Um, the, the radio theater thing came about, um, actually one, one performance that the, the gentleman's radio auxiliary actually did try to do a like radio style broadcast of plan nine from outer space a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, it went okay. It was not as authentic as we all wanted it to be, um, when it came to, sound effects and music and stuff like that. And uh, one of the things that happened was we all, there were four of us and we read every part. So we had the responsibilities of learning the lines and whoever wasn't speaking in that scene had to take Let's care of the sound, sound effects. Effect, yeah. And um, it was something I enjoyed doing, but wanted to do right. 
right or authentic more authentically not right but more authentically and uh it was one of one of the things that i thought about doing for a long time and then decided just to kind of like kick myself in the pants and and do mm-hmm. it because um old radio shows are things i've always loved and actually uh, there was a, a time i had pitched to um fit had done like one of those like open pitch mm-hmm. things like pitch your show and i had pitched uh the lost episode of the clay and calhoun sketch comedy or and it would have been a broadcast from 1945 that the the script would have been as if we were performing for the troops for the gis in a uso <laughs> show <laughs> but it would have been like an old radio show mm-hmm. on stage um the script, I mean, I'm not tossing it out there because uh, the script is still something I would love to do because half the script is written by my grandfather okay. um, who was a, um, who wrote for his ship's newspaper during the war. So I've got all these old newspapers that have like these corny jokes and stuff. And when I pitched it to them, the response I got back was, oh, we did an improv show in the dark. And that's kind of the same thing. I thought, no. well, no, that's not the same thing. So it kind of turned me off from no, wanting to. The bat is not the same thing. <laughs> exactly. As a yeah. Whole radio show. <laughs> yeah. Entirely different form. Entirely different. Like. So it it had stuck in my craw that they didn't understand <laughs> what I was saying, and so a couple, of, you know, time rolls on, and having known Joe Moore for so long, mm-hmm. I knew that if I had talked to him, he would give me a shot to perform it, and it was. It was going to just be a lark, just a one-time thing, get it out of my system and uh, uh, be done with it. But <laughs> then we started rehearsing, and then I started thinking about other ideas to do mm-hmm. radio shows. And um, this fear had kind of crept into me when I, was, when I got my tumor diagnosis okay. that my performing days were over that I wasn't going to be able to uh, perform anymore. But I wanted to still find a way to perform by not performing. And the way you do that is by producing, which I hate doing. (laughs) So I might as well produce something that I'll enjoy doing. So as we rolled through and people, not only uh, when they, I mean, the best way to, to say it is they bought into the WGRA Mm-hmm. production it wasn't just hey we showed up we did this funny thing and now we'll move on to something else they really bought into like let's do this as authentically as possible let's uh here's the rules of the game and when are we going to play this game again so <coughs> after the the plan nine performance which you did last year which and we did with a, yeah. a full cast i, I think yeah like every people. role had its own like yeah. no one was doubling up no one would like uh, the only time there were uh, two people doubled up because they were um, one lines. Right, okay. And uh, when <laughs> I got everybody lined up on stage and saw how much room everybody took up, uh, it became necessary to rather than when I realized there was like, oh, here's someone with one line. Let's not cast one more person. Right. Let's hey, ask somebody this. who's obviously I've got a very talented cast. In a slightly different voice. In a slightly different yeah. voice, yeah. Because I just, I, I, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to go to that show. 
but I remember seeing pictures of like, holy crap, everyone dressed up, everyone got as 40s as they could. Yeah. I think I put it online. Yeah. It's it's out there somewhere. And I'll yeah, do go we'll to link to it at after when oh, this thanks. goes up. <laughs> um, but then now you have motive murder, right? Is yeah, motive murder. It, okay, it is that way. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was murder motive or no. <laughs> uh, which way it went. Or uh, as it's pronounced, motive murder. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's a much smaller cast, but I think everyone that did that is doing motive murder it was in Plan Nine as well for the most. Uh, for the most part, part, yeah, I was able to get. I mean. I was able to get uh, Brian Craig to come back, and Quentin, who and both Julia are very 1940s yeah. dapper. Yeah, they will anyway. always be my first choices of everything that I do with them because they. Uh, the I'm trying to think of the best way to say that they were the ones who also gave the most encouragement as we were performing, mm-hmm. plan, as we were getting ready to do Plan Nine, and really made me think like, oh, this isn't a kitschy thing that people want to try. This is a thing that people want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, with Motive Murder, it is a original script, cool. and it is an actual choose-your-own-adventure script mm-hmm. where after each scene, the audience chooses what the next scene is, with a little musical interlude, and then we move on as and the play progresses. Which is when this goes up, that will be two or three days away because this will go up. Tuesday for oh okay to advertise for Thursday show right Thursday night yeah yeah Yeah. so because I've already bought my ticket I'm super excited to come (laughs) out for it Um, thanks so so what does is WGRA a thing it's a a thing now there's a Facebook page and and there's a I bought the domain (laughs) so which is how I contacted (laughs) you (laughs) so it is now a thing. and uh, the idea is to to keep it going, but only do shows every couple of months so mm-hmm. that I don't weigh myself down. And also, I don't want to interfere with the flat earth. Sure. So, um, I don't want them to be competing beasts. Because I, I always, whenever people do multiple projects, I always wonder, like, how do you do it? How do you have two different voices? But flat earth and WGRA are two completely different entities, yeah. voices. <laughs> I don't even have to ask that question. So like oh, yeah. And plus, it's easy, too, when you have a project where no one has to really learn their lines yeah, or they're blocking. Yeah. Uh, much easier for them to have. Like so much easier, yeah. But then at the same time, when you have tw- a cast of 20 and people are coming are and going timing through, and timing is it, tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I skipped over another question because we I usually ask this every everyone. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go back. Uh, you were watching the SNLs on Nick at Night and eventually watched the real show. Mm-hmm. Do you have an all-time favorite cast member? Um, you know what? I think the first cast member I really felt an affinity for was Gilda Radner. Okay. Um, I always like – I've always been drawn to the people who can create characters because I cannot create characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, over the course of those, like, short, abbreviated versions – you'd see three completely different characters that she would do. Mm-hmm. And I, that always blew me away. Because, I mean, she would have Roseanne. Roseanne, Roseanne Adana. Uh, Lisa Lupner, the nerd, or whatever yeah. her last name was. Uh, she had that Roth uh, character that she did with Jim, uh, John Belushi. Um, oh, yeah. A couple times. Like, yeah, she was uh, 
happen. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's been all very too soon. Yeah. Uh, and then, why comedy? Why do you do comedy? Um, I was actually thinking about this because I have been listening to the pod. I've, I've been listening to the podcast. Love when people do I've given some thought. I've been doing my homework, and I I think it really boils down to this. It it boiled down to that I've got this. I'm trying to think of the best way to to say it, but not sound super pretentious. Be pretentious. Okay. I have this weird dichotomy where I'm a very social person, but I also have social anxieties. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not good in big crowds. Um, I also have this thing where I just, if I don't know someone, I just assume they don't like me. I have that too. So the, I've, you know, over for for, for many years I've been alive. (laughs) I've, I've found that the, that comedy has been the only way that I've been able to communicate with other people. Okay. Whether it's been, uh, you know, through performance or just through like, that's my gateway to to meeting new people. Um, and it's really just been the only language I've ever really understood too. So I think that's, I think that's why comedy. <laughs> Perfectly. Yeah. But there's also that other thing that brings in comedy too, where you meet people who are comedians who are constantly on. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that that brings that whole other yeah. that other thing into it that just adds to the social anxiety mm-hmm. where you're just like, I'm a person and I know you're a person. I'm not your audience. I, I just want to talk to you. We're, we're just hanging out. There's yeah. I, I didn't pay to have this conversation with you. I'm not going to applaud you in a there's restaurant. Yeah. There's no giant sign. There's no applause. There's no laugh yeah. meter. We're not competing here. Just yeah, just hang out. But uh, yeah, it breaks. It boils down to like comedy is is a good universal language. Yeah, because like I think um, I'm, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the thing, but like on the podcast before. But if you mention comedy, someone al- always has a favorite yeah. comedy, favorite joke. You know, there's always something that can make people laugh. Like and making people laugh like is helpful and universal yeah. and perfectly fine. Okay, so it's a it's a good way to have a physical effect on someone without, without touching them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and before we wrap up, uh, the union, Philadelphia Union, we're both yeah. soccer people. Yes, we are. The last section one sixteen, row A, one seventeen. Oh, you're row A. You're down. Yeah. I'm one seventeen. Are you really? S. Yes, I am that close. We've been what? neighbors the whole time. Apparently. We had no idea. That's even worse now. Um, (laughs) The last week of the union life has been a roller coaster. It's been, uh, yeah. It's like the old union, how it really feels. Let's trade away Sebastian Latou. We do that every two years. I would like, so I woke up that morning with Ali Bedoya being signed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, awesome, yay. And then I. Who's gone? And. I was at a rehearsal for a show that has already happened, but it hasn't happened as I record. <laughs> and Do you have to cut it from that show now? Do you have to cut your whole Philadelphia no, Union no, sketch no, from no. the show? No. Uh, um, and I was at the rehearsal, and I checked my phone. I'm scrolling through Twitter, and I audibly, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. Like, best player in Union history. 
most goals, most games, everything. Yeah. Fan favorite. Person. Now he like, can add most traded most Union traded player to his uh, resume. A member of the Colorado Rapids. Yeah. And, then, like, and who did he get traded for? The same player he was traded for before. Al location, location money. <laughs> the worst, like the business side of Major League Soccer in this country is oh. the most confusing. Like it's, it's the worst. The worst. And that's the thing. Like I used to have season tickets to the Phillies for the long, like back to the vet. Okay. And then we moved to the new stadium. We got nice new seats. And then it became too much to have Phillies and, and Union tickets, and we can't give up those seats. They're too close. Um, but they make it tough. <laughs> to keep going back, but the I I think we'll make the playoffs this year. I I think we'll be five or six yeah. this year. So this will be one of the few years where we are one of the three teams that doesn't make the playoffs in MLS. I think we will actually make the playoffs this year, yeah. and we'll be knocked out in the first round. And it's fine that we trade away our, our first draft pick because it's going to be like a ten. So yeah, what a ten, whatever. Yeah. But I will say this. I mean, I this year. Uh, when they lose a game late, like they did this past weekend, um, I'm shocked. Not like last year when I was like, yeah, well, that's what that, happens. That's the union thing. Yeah. Like. Um, the ties don't feel so much like wins anymore. The ties feel like yes. losses this year, yes. which I think is, is telling for the team moving forward. Yeah. Uh, we're on the right path. Like yes. If we have Bedoya for a couple years. If we Which have, I think we do. I if think we have Barnetta and Adu for a couple years. Yeah. I th well, I think Adu might have to be on his way out because well he has rarely, barely played. And if he's – if we if we get him under DP money, like, yeah. which is another just – and if we keep – Plus, I am not of the mindset that the refereeing is on the level. I, I really <laughs> think that – I firmly believe that they, going into the past few weeks, have seen NYCFC starting to make a move. So let's knock the other teams down a peg so we can get our <laughs> our golden boy, uh, NYCFC, to the top of the table. So it makes it really difficult when you have to play the other team and the refereeing at the same time. Because we sit very close to the field and we see a lot <laughs> of, we'll say, bad calls. <laughs> so. I'm a little higher up, so I don't do as closely <laughs> as you do, I guess. Uh, so do you do the same thing I do where you uh, you get home from the game and then you watch the highlights so you can see them from the midfield angles? So I try as bad as not to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if there's something s like s super egregious that I have to, I will. Yeah. I'll even go like because I take the train down. The Connor Casey ejection? I Did you want to see that one? I will check the phone. I'll check the app to see what's going on. Like I, yeah. I will. Luckily, my buddy Mike, his brother, will watch the games from home, and he'll text us like, yeah, like that was a foul. <laughs> yeah, he was offsides. <laughs> so we get real-time updates and I, at the game we're really at. I'm really bad about lot, uh, scrolling through Twitter and, like, seeing what the, the writers are saying from the – like. Oh, yeah. That's uh, a really super bad habit. So yeah. Are we good? I, th I think Mark so. Do, are there any other questions? Does I'm anybody good. else have any questions? Oh. I'm, I'm done. If you're done. If you want to go watch a baby. Watch <laughs> – I'll tell you something. <laughs> this is, I won't put this out if you don't. Um, well, here, we'll buy some time while I need to go see. But, um, watching the baby is the greatest thing that I've got going on right now because it is absolutely – I mean, everybody says this. It's the total stereotypical new parent thing, like, oh, my baby's amazing, my baby's – but it is, it is amazing. Um, 
sometimes I'll just be, I, I'm the type of person who constantly has to be doing two things at a time. Because okay. I've, I always like to say, if I lived 400 years ago, I'd be a renaissance man. But today, I'm just someone with AD and D, ADD. Mm. So I have to be doing multiple things at once. Watching TV, writing, checking Twitter, whatever else is going on. But putting the baby on my chest and just sitting there, I have never... I, well, I'll say this. I have rarely ever felt like that's the only thing that I want to do or mm. that I should be doing at that moment. Just sitting there and hold that, that, that baby. Don't need to do anything else. It's really, it's really great for, um, I guess, my psyche, I guess, would be the best way to do it. The only other time I feel like that at ease is when like, I'm camping in the middle of nowhere, so there's nothing to distract me. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so let's get you home to the baby then. Thanks. Go home. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Vince. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> You can see Vincent's next project, WGRA, presents Motive Murder at the Plays and Players Theater, August 18th at 8.30 p.m. The cast includes Dan Corkery, Julia Hudson, Brian Cray, Quentin Alexander, Julia Selly, and Matt Holmes. And live music will be provided by the Philadelphia Ukulele Orchestra. Also, the Flat Earth returns to the stage at Plays and Players Theater on August 27th at 8.30 they're sharing the bill with Hot Raw Fire from Montreal. And more information for both of these shows can be found at goodgoodcomedy.com. And I mentioned it up top, so don't forget, this Friday, Philly Sketchfest presents a live edition of My First Sketch with Caitlin Weigel and Dan Corkery from House of Solitude. 8.30 p.m. at the Playground at the Adrian. More information at phillysketchfest.com. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at PHL Sketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to woodercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook to keep up with who I'll be talking to next and future live shows. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Now go see some comedy. <laughs>